Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is Disciplined and Opportunistic, Looking at the Private Equity Landscape, and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm Mina Gandhi, Portfolio Manager from the Private Equity Group, and with me today is Larry Unrein, Portfolio Manager and Global Head of the Private Equity Group. With a 39-year track record, the Private Equity Group is an experienced and disciplined team of nearly 60 investment professionals. We manage approximately $28 billion in assets across investment types, sectors, and geographies, employing a bottom-up investment approach seeking meaningful returns above public equity markets over multiple economic cycles. Larry, welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thank you, Mina. I'm very happy to be here. At our annual meeting in March, we shared a chart with our clients that showed institutional investors are reinvesting their private equity gains to maintain their target allocations. And according to a survey by Prequin, at the end of 2018, approximately 60% of investors were still below their PE target. So it's no surprise that as we look at PE fundraising, the numbers have been robust in recent years. So this leads to my first question. What are your thoughts and concerns about today's market, and how would you compare it to what we saw back in 2006-2007 periods? Thinking about the question, implicit in there is that the market is cyclical and has cycles. And I think all investment markets do. The economy does. A lot of things have cycles. And when you think about today's market, and this is something we've been saying for a number of years, is the concerns from an investment perspective are the fact that prices have continued to rise. And there I'm talking about prices um, as multiples of companies' cash flow. So we're paying more for the companies. And there's a lot of money that's being in private equity. In fact, you could make the case that over the last you know, three or four years, there's as much money in private equity as we have seen. So those are clearly concerns. Prices, there's more leverage being used. And from an investment perspective, those are the areas that we're concerned about. Your link to 2006, 2007 would talk about what we now can look back and say was the last peak in the market. And it's interesting about market cycles because investors have a tendency to repeat a lot of the same behaviors. So if you look at that late 2006, early 2007, you had the 10 largest leverage buyouts of all time done over a nine or 10-month period. So while in retrospect, we were at the top of the market, investor behavior certainly didn't act as if they knew they were at the top of the market. When I see sort of parallels between the two periods, certainly I think when people look at cash flow multiples paid for business, when they look at fundraising, when they look at the amount of quote-unquote dry powder, there are a lot of comparisons that make sense. And so the concerns that we have now are not dissimilar to concerns that we had back in 2006, 2007. I'd say differences are the rate of debt, the amount of debt is expressed in multiples today. And that's been inching up over the last several years, but typically we're talking about five, six, seven times cash flow in terms of the leverage multiples. Compare that to back in 2006 and seven, where you know it was eight, nine, 10, 11 times, depending on how it was measured. Also, as I referenced earlier, the fact that the 10 largest deals at all time were being done, there was a lot of activity where 
the investment was taking large companies or divisions of large companies private. That's less so today. I'd say overall, the overall economic environment has been good, so earnings have supported and companies are doing well. But there's no doubt that the macro environment is a factor, and I say the macro environment, pricing and leverage and cash flow and the amount of cash that you have to be very disciplined in terms of making investments today. So it's certainly a reason for caution. It's not necessarily a reason to not make investments. And I think, you know, I can look back in 2006 and 2007 and say we made some very good investments during that period of time. So despite a more difficult environment. Well, and I think also, I mean, private equity firms today, and we've seen this, they're not shy about raising larger and larger funds, given, I mean, it's still a difficult time to invest. But if you look at the four, call it mega funds out there in the last two years, I think they raised like $500 billion. And I think that's also a concern. And what are your thoughts about that? It's been a very good fundraising environment. Performance for private investments has been very good. And the amount of capital that's available is a concern. I think you can point to the fact that in private equity, there's a fair amount of incentive to raise capital because the economics incent people to raise capital. The four funds you reference, if you look at the 2018 McKinsey report, the report suggested that over 2017, 2018, just over $1.6 trillion has been raised in what they reference as private markets. So that would be private equity, that would be infrastructure, private credit, private real estate, which is an awful lot of money retrospect. And I think one area in particular, if you look at private credit, your earlier question, we were talking about the market in 2006, 2007, investors generally weren't allocating money to private credit at all. And today, there's so much money. The four firms that you reference, it's kind of interesting to have these big private market firms be public because you know what they did. And if you tally up the four largest public private market firms, they in fact did. So not only was there a lot of money raised, but close to 30% of it was raised by three firms. So clearly the amount of capital that's out there is a concern. So let's switch and talk about venture capital and growth. We're living in an innovation age. There's a lot of disruptive companies, many of which have been private for a very long time. And as we all know, Lyft made headlines with its recent IPO. And there's a long list of unicorns in the pipeline that could also go public, such as Uber, Pinterest, WeWork, Cloudflare, Slack, etc. So is this the year of the unicorn IPO? Well, it's certainly so far it is. You reference Lyft, Pinterest, as we sit here today, is in the market doing their roadshow. There's strong speculation that Uber and Slack, which has announced a reverse listing, are also going to attempt to go public. The public markets seem receptive, and our sense is that as long as the public markets are receptive, these companies will go public. You also reference, I think, which is also a very important point, which is these companies have been around for a very long time. And this is not different in the sense that, you know, the last number of years, what we've seen is a lot of these young growing, innovative companies have stayed private for much, much longer periods of time. And when they do go public, they're more substantial companies and they're valued much higher. You know, the public classic would be Facebook, which I believe went public back in 2012, was nine plus years from founding to going public and went public at a $100 billion market capitalization. Lyft went public at a market capitalization that was close to $30 billion. So these are big, substantial companies with hundreds of millions of dollars of capital. Now, they can stay 
private longer because they can choose to. They can finance. And so the amount of money that many of these companies have raised as private companies are also somewhat unprecedented. So it may or may not be. Certainly, it looks to be the case. But I think the market should be very receptive. The market can easily absorb these companies. As you know, you know, if you go and you look at global equity markets back to 2011, those markets, the net equity issuance since 2011 globally has been a negative $9.7 trillion. And if you look at these companies, which they're very big, you mentioned unicorns and they're over a billion dollars. And we mentioned the Lyft IPO. They're still relatively small relative to, say, the S&T 500. In fact, the projected largest company, that being Uber, from a market capitalization might be within the top 100. So our sense is, is that the market can absorb. The market is also looking for growth. So I think that's the case. But I think more importantly, and I think this is something that you referenced, which I think is very important, which is we've been in a very innovative and disruptive space. And it's hard to sit back and see how that doesn't continue. And if it does continue, there are a couple of things to reference, which I think are important. One, I think it's an opportunity for investment. And the other is what we have seen is that innovation, certainly go back to your earlier question, you know, the peak of 2006, 2007, and the market aftermath in terms of the financial system pressures and the recession that we saw in 2008 and nine. innovation is not generally impacted by macro factors. Our sense is that there'll still be opportunities, but also capital abundance and pricing, but there's still going to be very good and very attractive opportunities. So given the dynamics you've just discussed, we talked about the buyout market, elevated fundraising, peak dry powder, et cetera. The obvious question is, is now a good time for investors to commit to private equity? So how should investors think about private equity investments in this part of the cycle? It's a good question, and it's interesting because we talked before about market and market cycles. I mentioned the fact that we look back and now your question is the last peak, and the last peak was you know, 2006, 2007. And I pointed out that during that period of time, the 10 largest buyouts of all time were during the peak. So obviously, the real-time behavior did not suggest the peak. I think one of the things, and you touched on, I think really important, and we've talked about, which is the fact that fundraising has been so good and that many investors have been under-allocated. And a lot of the fundraising tends to be this idea of maintaining your allocation. The way we think it makes sense is, is that every environment Private equity has some real advantages in terms of governance and diligence, which make it very attractive to invest. But the macro factors of high pricing and capital is something to consider. And our view is that you want to be very disciplined and you want to be opportunistic. I would also suggest that, so a lot of the behavior is to maintain this allocation. And my sense would be is I would not be surprised, and we saw this a little bit, when you looked at the fourth quarter and we saw global equity markets back up quite a bit, had that been sustained, my sense is, is that you would have seen a lot less appetite for private markets coming in. And that's simply this whole sort of allocation desire. Our sense is you want to be opportunistic, you want to look for opportunities, and you want to recognize that there are opportunities in all markets. It's just that sometimes the macro factors can be something, whether they be plus or minus, that should impact your decision making. And so market timing is not something that we're an advocate of. 
Certainly, market cycles present opportunities, which you should take advantage of. But the overall concept of market timing is not something that we would strongly advocate. There's actually a recent uh, academic paper that was written by Steve Kaplan at the University of Chicago, which looked at a lot of private equity data, and those people are interested. And I cite it because the purpose of the paper was to address your question about market timing. And I think they looked at a lot of the data. You can certainly draw your own conclusions, but their conclusions were that it would be very difficult to time and they would not suggest investors do that. I also think in private equity, it's very hard to read economic data or the macro environment and make a decision on whether you should or should not invest, right? And so when we in our group, when we think about investing in private equity, it's about the underlying investment. And We've made investments in 2006 in restaurants, right, where at that time you would think, why would you do a restaurant deal? And so talk about that because I think that's an important Yeah, no, I think you can always find opportunities, right? You can always find good businesses with good teams. So I believe that that's not macro dependent. And you're right. I mean, you could invest in consumer businesses. We did in the last cycle, and that would suggest that those turned out to be very good investments. I think the other thing you and I – and we very much always position with clients this idea that we're not going to make an investment. We try to take advantage of the fact that we don't have to make investments. And we want to be very disciplined. A lot of our clients have a different issue. And that, I think, is also a factor here today in 2019 that maybe didn't exist in other periods, which is they've got a portfolio. And they typically have needs, objectives, whatever it is that you want that – requires them to find places to meet those return objectives. And, you know, there was recently a public pension plan here in the U.S., which significantly increases private equity allocation. And they're very clear about why they were trying to do it. They have a 7% return on asset assumption and didn't feel that their other portfolio would allow them necessarily to meet that. And if they don't meet that, obviously, it affects both pension security, but more importantly, the cost of providing pensions. So if you look at, and I think this is not only a big factor in today's market and reference the the earlier things that you talked about in terms of the amount of money, so investors are looking at their portfolio and they're looking at where interest rates are, which they continue to be very low globally around the world. Credit spreads very tight. Public equity markets, not a market forecaster, but, you know, historically, PE rates are sort of high. And they're looking at all of these alternative investment scenarios, and they're saying, I think, at least, and we've had discussions, as you know, they're saying, okay, well, maybe I'm going to get less on my private equity return than maybe I would have gotten, you know, five or six or seven years ago, but it's still relative to what I'm looking at attractive, and it helps me meet objectives. So I think there's a rationality to it. But like anything else, very much so in private equity, it's ultimately what you do at the investment level, which is going to drive those returns. It's not a, an asset allocation decision or a macro bet that's going to drive that. So implementation is really, really important. Thanks, Larry. Thank you for joining us on the Center for Investment Excellence. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us today on J.P. Morgan's Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. 
If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes on iTunes and on our website. Recorded on April 9th, 2019. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This content is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, Users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored, and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our company's privacy policy. For further information regarding our regional privacy policies, please refer to the MEA Privacy Policy. For locational Asia-Pacific privacy policies, please click on the respective links. Hong Kong Privacy Policy, Australia Privacy Policy, Taiwan Privacy Policy, Japan Privacy Policy, and Singapore Privacy Policy. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, in other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL, in Hong Kong by JF Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited, in Singapore by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, co-reg number 197601586K, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore Private Limited, Co-reg number 201-120-355-E. In Taiwan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited. In Japan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investments Advisors Association. 
Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, registration number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, number 330. In Australia, to wholesale clients, only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 551438-32080, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A., in Canada for institutional clients use only by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada Incorporated, and in the United States by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated and J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, both members of FINRA, and J.P. Morgan Investment Management Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2019 J.P. Morgan Chasing Company, all rights reserved.